0: Hello friends and welcome back. I hope you are having a good Wednesday and that your week is going well. And I hope that you enjoyed Monday's episode with Sheriana and massive, massive thank you again to her for joining us. And yeah, let me know if you've been doing a bit of an emotional detox. I have definitely been trying to connect a little bit more with how I'm feeling and to tune in and and all of that kind of stuff. Today, we've got a really great conversation with Dr. Shani Vox, who joins us to talk about cancer and, and surviving cancer and the, the kind of psychological side and the, the fear and anxiety that sometimes kind of goes along with the, the physical stuff. And I think that probably most of us will know someone who has experienced cancer um, or will have ourselves. And, and I think there's so much great advice and, and kind of content. But I think there is also some really great life advice uh, applicable to anyone. So if you're kind of hearing that and thinking, well, that's not relevant to me, <laughs> um, I would say still check out the episode because Dr. Shani is amazing and really... Um, some really great takeaways and a couple that I definitely have reflected on and we'll chat about a little bit at the end but yes I really hope that you enjoy this conversation so let's dive in Hi everyone and I'm really happy to welcome today's guest Dr Shani, to the podcast so welcome and if you could tell us a little bit about yourself
1: it's a delight to be here Hannah (laughs) I'm Dr. Shani Fox, and I'm a trained holistic physician and certified life coach. And what I want to see most in this world is that every person who has survived cancer is living the life, a life that's worthy of what they survived for.
0: Yeah, amazing. And yeah, well, where to start is such a big topic, I imagine, for people. It's something that I think we can all think of people that we know that have, been, that have had cancer or been lost to cancer, or all of us have been touched by cancer in, in some ways. How Absolutely. You, yeah. How did you mm-hmm. get into what you're doing now?
1: Well, what you say is, first of all, very true that, uh, you know, they say that one in two men and one in three women will be touched by cancer personally in their lifetimes. And uh, even if you're not touched personally, we all know somebody Uh, usually in our immediate families, that's been touched by it. So it's extremely, extremely frequent and common these days, uh, and therefore something that all of us need to be concerned about, whether or not we're currently in that situation. The reason I focused on this in my practice is because from the beginning of my practice, I treated many cancer patients and survivors. And with the tools of holistic medicine, I was very good at helping them recover. They got back their energy, whatever symptoms they had used to fade. So they were feeling much better. And everything, you know, the, the way they appeared and the lab work that they would get, everything looked like it was hunky-dory. Everything looked like it was terrific and they, and they were t- totally well. What I noticed though, that was, was that many of them were not walking around in the world as if they were well. They were worried so that the cancer would come back that that played an enormous role in who they were anymore. And so being a holistic physician, I realized that's not a good situation. You know, if you believe that the mind affects the body, the body affects the mind, then holding that fear in your mind all the time, it could very well have physical consequences. And if not physical consequences, it certainly can ruin a person's quality of life. They can't really be happy when that fear is in the forefront. So I began to wonder, well, what, can we do about that? You know, how, what can I offer my patients to help with that? And when I went looking for resources, I didn't find any. Mm-hmm. At the time, I could not find any. And so I was committed to creating something that would be helpful to the patients. And I ended up creating my own version of proprietary coaching that would help people recover in the mental and emotional sphere so that they were as happy there as their bodies very often were after a while, or even if they weren't, even if their bodies were still working with the cancer that they would be in a calm peaceful hopeful place
0: yeah amazing well such an um, amazing kind of mission and and work that you do um because I I imagine that actually even if someone is still going through that treatment as you said if you believe that the the body has an impact on the mind then obviously the better kind of state of mind you're in that's going to have an impact and even if not the kind of quality of life that you can enjoy is very much shaped by by how you feel
1: absolutely absolutely you know unfortunately many of us know stories of cases where a doctor uh, communicated the statistics about survival to a particular person and they took that basically as gospel truth and they didn't live beyond what the doctor said whereas the statistics actually are not definitive for absolutely everybody there's lots and lots of things that can improve a person's chances of being on the good side of that curve on the on the surviving side of that curve. And so that's what I attempt to help my patients and clients with, that they are at the very best end of that curve with the best possible chances, no matter what the statistics say.
0: Yeah, amazing, and and obviously, you know, don't give away all your secrets to us, but I'd love to know a little bit about (laughs) about how that works, how you support people with that. Well,
1: it, it starts with some physical measures. I mean, a person's lifestyle needs to support wellness in the long run, and so, certainly there's a whole, there's so much information these days about, you know, how to eat in a way that nourishes your body rather than helps put it into disease. You know, people need to sleep well, people need to move their bodies, you know, now people in cancer treatment or shortly beyond, that could be, you know, that needs to be tailored. You know, not everybody has full range and capacity to exercise, um, in a very robust way. But nevertheless, we meet a person where they are, and then take that from there such that everybody's moving in some way, but the human body's meant to move, you can't be in bed or in a chair all the time, and expect that you're going to be optimally healthy. And and then of course, there's managing of stress, you know, that, you know, stress happens, the world is full of stress, the difference between people, though, is how they manage the stress. And so those are sort of the pillars of, of a lifestyle that will support wellness overall. And uh, a, a person who's Aiming for wellness, very often, either the cancer, the remnants of the cancer will take care of itself, they'll prevent future disease. And even if they're working, you know, like I said, if, they, if they've currently got cancer, um, their body will do its very best and sustain itself as long as it can and, and as well as it can under those circumstances mm-hmm. if we're giving it the proper support. So the first phase really is, is helping a person with all the physical aspects of this. Uh, and then there's the emotional and mental realm even the spiritual realm, I would say, although I don't do this from any denomination, I do simply from uh, broad spiritual contentment where, gosh, there's, there's, there's all sorts of uh, ways we could go there. It depends where the person is at, but very often the first thing we're dealing with and the thing that brings them to me is the fear. And so we often start with that, you know, how do we, how do you function in the world when this fear is present all the time? That's what I've yeah. developed ways to do.
0: Yeah. Amazing. And I I love the idea of starting where people are and meeting them where they are, because I think that's, so important, because you can have all these things that are maybe beneficial, but actually if someone's not at that point, then they're just going to kind of go over their head because it's not going to be relevant for them.
1: That's very true. I I was very lucky in in my medical training to have a mentor who said that the very best treatment is the one that you feel good about offering. You feel competent and and, and good about offering, but that the patient also is aligned with. Mm. You know, if the patient isn't on board with the treatment, then it will not be as effective as Uh, it looks on paper, if you will. And unfortunately, in the Western system, as far as cancer treatment itself is concerned, the emphasis tends to be on the treatment. There's protocols. If you have this kind of cancer in this particular stage, then this is the treatment that you get. Now, it's important because those treatments have a certain degree of success. and, and, And so I'm not diminishing the importance of that, but it does not at all address the role of the individual. And so what happens is the, the statistics that we mentioned earlier, those are based on people who just simply accept the given protocol and do do that only. But what we know is when the person themselves gets involved and is willing to look at their diet, their sleep, their stress management, and all of those things as well, they're bringing a lot to the table in addition to whatever the prescribed treatment is. And that package altogether of the doctor's offering plus what the person is able to participate in, it's far more powerful. Than the treatment itself so yeah we absolutely have to meet people where they are and you know take their hand and bring them along on this journey
0: mm, yeah absolutely and I mean all the things that you've said there for the kind of physical side of, of wellness I think for everyone uh, are really beneficial um, yes. and, and you mentioned fear as a big kind of mental and emotional uh, thing that people experience um, who have cancer or who have survived cancer are there other emotional things that are very specific to, to the people that you work with
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, the, there's an interesting side effect of cancer that is not often mentioned, which in a word is disempowerment. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that that's because, again, the Western system has these protocols. And basically, as soon as you're diagnosed, you're swept into this system, and they want to start right away. I'm not saying any of this is wrong. It's important, actually. But um, when you think about the emotional effects of it a person gets you know has to start treatment and you know set up these appointments on their calendar and show up and, and 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 uh do everything that the system tells them to do without really having processed what just happened so there's a bit of a traumatic element going on here as well and it doesn't get addressed typically as the treatment is going on you just you're so overwhelmed just showing up and 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 being in the right place at the right time so this persists and a person gets through treatment You know, have been willing and and and, but then they come out the other side, and what happens is that when that last treatment is over, you know, very often there's a little party with cupcakes and balloons, and that's all lovely, but then the very next thing you know, the staff says, "So long, have a great life," and they go on to the next patient, and then you're left, you know, as a survivor, you're left. Oh my goodness, you know, what do I do now? I had all these people helping me along. I knew exactly what I needed to do up until now. It wasn't easy, but I knew exactly what to do. And now I'm all of a sudden in a broad field with no landmarks. I have no idea which way to turn, what to do, who to ask even. And so it's very overwhelming. In fact, I've heard people say that that was the most fearful point in the journey, not when they were first diagnosed with cancer, that that when they were let go into the world again, not feeling well, very often exhausted, not even knowing who they are anymore, because cancer takes so much of your identity. You become a cancer patient for quite a while there. And so everything's been shaken up from the ground up. That's the very definition of trauma. Mm. All your assumptions are gone. So that is a critical place that we need to help cancer survivors.
0: Yeah. You just preempted my next question because identity is something that I'm really interested in. Um, And I was going to ask about the impact that it has on people's identity and how they see themselves.
1: Well, they've become accustomed at that point that I just mentioned, that they've become accustomed now to seeing the medical system as the source of authority. And again, for a while, that was, it was very important to listen to what the, the medical system said. I certainly don't undermine that. But the problem is that when you place all your focus on the medical system, you've forgotten what your role is. And that's the part that I help people with, is stepping back into who, first of all, reminding them who they are, because the cancer is a big deal, of course. But in a lifetime, within a lifetime, it's typically an episode. It's not the whole story. So it's, we get so immersed in it that we forget, um, but it's finding your essence again. And remember a person's essence, who they really are, hasn't been touched by the cancer. It's certainly devastating to the body, but a person's essence still exists. And so reconnecting them with that essence and the power that's within that essence to determine their own choices, to live by their own values, to create a life that they really enjoy living that's, that's where the disconnect often happens. And that's where I reconnect people. I plug them back into that so that they become not only a great participant in their healthcare, but also in their, they re- recognize again, um, the power that they have to determine the course of their life. Again, whether or not the disease is still present following mm-hmm. treatment.
0: Yeah, I had um, a, a question that, that came to mind and I was thinking of, of people that I know that have had cancer and people who sadly we've lost to cancer. And I'm just curious whether some survivors have some kind of sense of like survivor's guilt of knowing people that have passed and and whether that is part of that complex bundle of of you know the experience and emotions. It very much can be.
1: It mm-hmm. very much can be. Survivor's guilt is one aspect. Uh, you know, you'll see survivors who are actually themselves doing very well. But if they should hear, for example, about somebody they know, Who's been diagnosed, or is more, most especially re-diagnosed with a mm-hmm. second bout of cancer or third? Um, that's a situation that they very often find that they have trouble facing. That they, that, you know, they they love the person, they want to be present for them, and yet it scares them so. You know, the idea that this happens again, uh, it's it's too close to home essentially. So that's another aspect of this is is being able to remain in relationship with people who have cancer once you have gotten over your own. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's lots of interesting issues for cancer survivors that, you know, those of us in the other world, in the, in the general world, we don't we don't think about these things.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and those examples you mentioned, it feels like that taps into that fear thing again, that is mm-hmm. that kind of reminder of that fear for yes, themselves. And yes, um, yeah.
1: Yeah. The fear is often a part of all of these issues that we're talking about. And, you know, Elizabeth Gilbert, the, the author who wrote Eat, Pray, Love, Uh, she had a very interesting image about fear. It wasn't in the context of cancer, but it applies anyway. She recognized the fear in her own life and she said, okay, fear, you and I are going on a road trip and I know I can't get rid of you. You know, I know you're essentially wired into my body. There's a reason we feel fear. It it is physiological. But she says, "I, I, I know you're wired into me and I can't get rid of you, but listen to me. I'm in the driver's seat. You're in the back seat. You may not touch the steering wheel. You may not even change the music on the radio. So I can't get rid of you. You'll come along, but you know you have to know your place, and I know my place. I'm driving this bus, and and that's basically where we're getting to. Yeah. That that uh, even though fear is present, it is in fact a physiological response. You know, we need it to respond to mortal threats. You know, we're about to be a car is coming toward us we need to get out of the way that's where fear comes in right but uh when it comes to fear of things that are not present actually they're just in our mind and they may never happen that's where we can get back in the driver's seat and say wait a second fear you don't really belong in this picture let's Mm -hmm. put you in your proper place
0: yeah yeah i think that's yeah, a brilliant uh, way of thinking about Because the, the question popped into my head of whether people can kind of get rid of the fear, but then it makes no sense, does it? Because fear is just part of of how we, um, as you said, it's a physiological response. Um, it, it
1: is. So I call this dancing with fear. Mm. You know, that we have no choice but to be in the presence of fear. And it's useful to us at times. But um, in our everyday lives, we need to learn to dance with it and have it be in its role in, in us and ours.
0: Yeah. And so... Um, one of the things that you talk about is kind of make or break factors for people mm-hmm. or survivors who thrive and, and those who, who maybe don't so much. And mm-hmm. What kind of factors uh, are those? Could you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Well, first and foremost, it's about this taking back of one's personal power, realizing that we create our own experience and that under any circumstances, cancer, fear, or lots of other things we could think of, Ultimately, it's up to us to create our experience. It's very difficult to hold on to that sometimes, again, because we've turned ourselves over to the medical authorities for quite some time. So we think that they're creating our experience. Well, they're they're certainly contributing to it, but we create the way we experience that and everything else in life. So it's taking back that power, which really is essentially the power to create whatever experiences we want to create, to live by what's important to us. You know, I had an amazing mentor in this regard. It was my dad. Um, my dad uh, was, when I was 15, he was hit by an automobile and he nearly died. He, he was in a coma and then in the hospital for a total of nine months. Um, and we didn't know if we were going to see him again at the beginning. We, you know, it was, it was touch and go. Well, he came out of that experience somewhat damaged in his body, but Uh, determined. He he realized how fragile life was. And so he lived the rest of his life on that assumption, that every day mattered, that every person in his life mattered, that every word he said mattered, essentially. And so he truly, truly lived by his values. He lived another 28 years after that. And it was just remarkable what a role model he was in that regard, Mm -hmm. about he lived his life according to the way he wanted to live it. So he actually did eventually pass away of cancer, but by that time it was almost a non-event because his life meant so much. And so, and it was pancreatic cancer too. I'm not making light of that part of it, it was was hard, but nevertheless, um, because his life was so complete, the cancer was simply the way that he was chosen to exit. So uh, this is the way I encourage people to live their life. This is the way I attempt to live my own life is that every day matters. Every day matters. And I have a lot to do with the way my day is going to go, whether or not circumstances are happy or bothersome or even tragic.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, um, you know, thank you for sharing that story. And I think it's interesting. We we hear these stories of people who have uh, like your dad experiences like that, or who have, um, you know, survived cancer, who then they're like, yes, I'm going to live every day to the full. And, It's interesting, isn't it? How often we don't, (laughs) we're we're like, yeah. Yeah, and we're just not making the most of it until something really wakes us up to realize, oh, well, this is precious and it's fragile. So maybe I should make the most of it.
1: Yeah, and cancer is definitely one of those things. You know, Mm -hmm. a person, there are many people who realize after cancer that life is precious, which is a beautiful starting point. And then the question is, can you implement that? Mm -hmm. You know, or do you feel overwhelmed by the cancer or the fear of future cancer? You know, what's in your way of actually implementing that? And again, that's where uh, I come in.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Amazing. Well, I think you're doing such amazing work. Um, You you know, I think it's. Yeah, I'm just thinking of, um, you know, people that I know that have experienced cancer and the impact that it's had on them. And so um, I really appreciate you and what you're doing in the world. So um, thank you. Thank you for, for sharing with us. And I wonder if you have um, a final thought that you want to share with us uh, on the, the work that you do or, you know, surviving cancer before I ask you my set questions.
1: I would just say to cancer survivors or patients out there that if you've encountered that place where you're not feeling hopeful, if, if you're having trouble climbing out of sort of a hole of despair or helplessness, then know that there is hope. And there are people who can help you so reach out and don't give up until you find a person who can guide you from there on whatever kind of help it is you need but this is not something which is inevitable there will be moments like that i certainly don't deny that there are very tough places on this journey many of them after treatment is over but there is absolutely help available so never ever give up hope life is waiting for you
0: Amazing. Thank you so much for that. Um, And yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on my set questions. I ask everyone that joins us on the show. Yeah. And the first one is what brings you joy in your life?
1: So this is a lovely question, actually. Um, As it happens in my own life, I won't, they are not necessary, but 2018 was a very difficult year for me, very difficult, challenging year for me. So when 2019 rolled around, I declared that it was my year of joy. And I just proceeded to make it that way. There was absolutely no day was going to pass without some joy in it. And if I needed to create that joy, well, I created it. And that ha- that, that included all sorts of things. Uh, but it turned out to be a very, very joyful year. Um, I am a dancer, so nothing brings me as much joy as dancing. Uh, so the very first thing I did was I signed up for Argentine tango lessons, <laughs> learned <laughs> a, a new form of dancing and then continued to do the ones that I was already involved in. So it was a year of a lot of dancing for me, which meant I met it meant I met new people. Uh, I dived further into the dance communities that I was already in, got to know those, those people better, which was a source of a lot of joy. Um, I took off a few extra pounds, which made me feel wonderful. I <laughs> Uh, I gave myself for my birthday strong arms. I took up uh, hand weights and gave myself beautiful sculpted arms for my birthday. So all sorts of things that just gave me joy day to day and were lasting. Um, I, I I think we have great uh, ability to create our own joy and we just need to take up our power to do so. So uh, what brings me joy in my life? Potentially, absolutely everything. And I'm so glad I set myself to that mission because. Uh, I really got very practiced in creating joy in my life and I still do
0: yeah I mean what a beautiful mission to set yourself and I also love when you said about gifting yourself strong arms um, Mm -hmm. because particularly I think the physical things we can approach it from like a the opposite way rather than a gift and loving ourselves as a kind of punishment or whatever and so I think that's also a, a really beautiful way of approaching that
1: that, that's a perfect point. That's an excellent point. You know, we, some things that we seem th- to think of as burdens, exercise being one of them. Well, if we think of it as a burden, it will be a burden. But if I say, if I get up in the morning and say, I am so grateful that I have a body that functions, that allows me to do any kind of exercise that I want, any, any anything that I want, but, you know, exercise too that's a place from which I'm happy to get out. I, my One of my favorite exercises is long distance walking. Um, so, you know, I'll get out. I, I don't have to be convinced to go out and walk. I, I love getting out to walk because I'm so, I start with an attitude of gratitude, as they say. yeah, <laughs> And it makes it a joy.
0: Yeah, amazing. And, but uh, right, yeah. All right. I love the idea of a year of joy. I think maybe that's how I came to this. It was something that hadn't been part of my life and suddenly it's become um a few years ago I was like, "Oh, joy. That's a thing. Maybe I want more of that." <laughs> and
1: and what did you do about that? I'm curious.
0: Well, do you know what? I um uh I love a kitchen dance party. That's one of my little ways of dancing. Um I um love wild swimming. That's something I got into mm. and uh, and I also uh, I didn't think of it as gifting myself um you know, a stronger body, but I uh, took up CrossFit, um, oh. which I, I like the weightlifting part of it more than some of the other weird parts. of okay. it. Um, but I found those things that I really enjoyed and uh, did those and more connection and that kind of thing. So yeah.
1: Some yeah. Well, well done. Well done. You know, it's amazing how getting just allowing ourselves to immerse in physical activity of some kind, our favorite kind, nothing prescribed, but the one that that we really resonate with, that how much joy that can bring, isn't it?
0: yeah yeah absolutely yeah um so then my next question so joy is one of my my buzzwords which is why i ask Mm -hmm. about it my other is kind of meaning so um Mm -hmm. i'd love to know what makes life meaningful for you you know potentially everything
1: (laughs) (laughs) i'm a person who looks for the sacred in absolutely everything because i think there's a lot we can learn from exactly what's around us so for example you know i have a cat uh and my cat just turned 22 years old wow now, you know, lots of us can enjoy the presence of a pet and there's meaning in that this, this, you know, think about it during this pandemic, this cat has been such lovely company for me, among others. I mean, it's not the only company I have, but, but still when I come home and, and many times, you know, I wasn't seeing as much of people as I would have liked to, true of all of us, right? Um, then this cat was here, you know, a a live being in my house who so loved to be next to me, with me, you know, that is such a precious thing. And I see in it, you know, I was given a companion for this duration. Um, Something very meaningful that I would have been a lot less happy without. So this cat at this age is still here being my companion at a time when I very much needed it. You know how it's, it's wonderful. It's meaningful. Uh, I, I, in other words, I think she some, at some level knows her purpose and she's fulfilling it. Isn't that wonderful? You know, all of us should know our purpose as well as she does.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That's amazing. Beautiful. And uh, I've got, um, I've got a dog and uh, yeah, he, yeah. Although he's been more grumpy with us during lockdown. I don't know what his purpose is. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe to keep us busy out of trouble or something. Um. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, so my next two questions are about our overarching topic on the podcast, which is mental well-being, mental wellness. Uh, so I'd love to know what does mental wellness mean to you?
1: Mental wellness means that I remain aware of my power to create my own experience. And I'm exercising that power in a healthy way. I, I think when you know, wellness is not something that happens to us, wellness is something we create from within. Yeah, I think that sums it up.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, So then my, my follow-up question is always, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, for yourself, how mm-hmm. you do that. So mm-hmm. how do you create that for yourself?
1: I've learned to track my emotional state. I, you know, I check in on myself frequently during the day. And essentially what I'm checking in on, there's lots we could check in on, but what I'm checking in on for this particular purpose is the state of my nervous system. In other words, how am I feeling? Am I feeling calm? Am I feeling peaceful? am I feeling happy, all of which is good, do more of what you're doing, right? Or am I feeling unnerved? Am I feeling anxious? And when those occur, that's, those are simply symptoms, like any physical symptom. Those simply tell me that something is calling out for attention and I need to notice what's going on notice if I can where that's coming from and do whatever I need to do about it, take my power to do what I can about it or get help if I need. So just tracking my own state, my own emotional state is key to looking after my own well-being. And, you know, very often what we'll do, and I've done this of course too, is we'll get a little nervous, but we'll just shoo it aside, we'll suppress it. Oh, that's not significant, you know, whatever, okay. I'll go on, you know, I can distract myself, but that's not the same thing as turning toward that feeling and saying, what's going on. Hmm. And very often that requires a pause. I have to stop what I'm doing. Just allow myself to feel what, feel what I'm feeling, but then whatever it's associated with. And then, you know, maybe in the moment I do something about it, or maybe I plan to do it later, but at least I'm now in touch with what's actually going going on and what the cause is so that I can go, address it. If I'm not sure what's going on and I continue to feel unnerved, anxious, then the best thing I can do is take a break from what I'm doing and allow myself a space in which I can feel it. So I might go and take a short walk, get out of my head, just do something which is healthy and good for me, but gives a space for whatever ideas I'm actually going to get to drop in. Very often... The the next thing that happens is I, I will have an idea when I get back to you know home I'll, I'll have an idea okay either I'm feeling better already or I'll say okay I I can reset here and 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 go on or I need I know what I need to do it's kind of like sleeping on something you know you go to bed with a concern but then in the morning you wake up you see it differently so we can do that S- sleep is good but we can do that without uh, going to sleep we can actually uh, do that during the day by taking a pause of some sort as well mm. so that's how I stay aware of what's going on and involved in the process of resolving if necessary.
0: Yeah, amazing. Thank you for sharing that. And, and one of the things we love here is uh, practical uh, mm-hmm. advice. And we've got a tips question coming up in a moment, but uh, mm-hmm. thank you for that. I think that's, you know, being able to kind of tune into sort of what's going on and, and mm-hmm. like you said, not just turn away from it, but kind of face it. I think that's yes. um, really great. So thank you for sharing that. And my next question is sometimes a challenge for people but we'll see. Uh, how would you describe your own mindset?
1: Empowered. Mm. Empowered. And I know that if I'm not feeling empowered in any given moment, that that's where I need to head towards. That's my North star. So again, it's not that I'm perfect and empowered all the time. Most <laughs> well, certainly not, but my mindset is that way. So that if I find myself in a place where I'm not, then I know that either I need to allow myself the turn to my own resources and find a way or get help. Absolutely. You know, many times in my life, I've turned toward a counselor or um, an activity or a community. There's all sorts of ways to get help. But, you know, And this is tailored, of course, to who we are, whether introverted or extroverted or, uh, you know, no matter what whether it's physical or whether it's mental, emotional, the issue, it doesn't matter what there's always support out there. So I know that if I'm not empowered in a moment, it's possible to get back to empowered. I just need to look for the way and it will appear mm-hmm. just, just being open to it. In other words, that there's a way out there. It will, it will find me.
0: Yeah. Amazing. Thank you for that. Um, so this is the tip question, which is my, my, my favorite one to ask, I think, cause I'm really curious, uh, you know, to, pick people's brains really um so (laughs) do you have a top one to three tips for us they could be tailored towards uh, cancer survivors or just generally of things that we could try in our life that could have um, a big impact
1: the first thing that comes to mind and it does apply to cancer survivors but also to the rest of us is that we tend to be extremely hard on ourselves in western society (laughs) we're very achievement oriented and so we we when, when we feel vulnerable, which, of course, cancer is all about vulnerability. It's one of the problems that people have dealing with it. Um, when we feel vulnerable, we feel weak, and we feel like we want to hide. The very first thing, the very first thing before empowerment, before anything, that I recommend to people and to myself, and I have to remind myself of this a lot, actually, because I grew up in a, a very achievement-oriented family. And so this is something that was missing, and I had to learn it later on the very first thing to do is to be compassionate with ourselves. Oh, we tried something and didn't work, time for self-compassion. Oh, we thought we were on the right track and now it seems we have to change tracks, self-compassion. This happens in life, life ain't perfect, as they say. So we have, we're going to have obstacles, we're going to have failures and that's just part of the curriculum, if you will. It's part of the story in fact, sometimes it makes the best stories later on. <laughs> but in the moment, not to beat ourselves up, but to say, oh, you know, no wonder you're sad about that. No wonder you're anxious about that. No wonder you're concerned about that." And take a moment with that part, which allows ourselves to go into a softer part of ourselves, from which we're actually much more resourceful. Because if we're fighting off the emotions, the sadness, the the anxiety, the everything else, the fear, when we're when we're Fighting with those and resisting those, we are much less resourceful for ourselves. So, self-compassion is a very, very underappreciated skill mm-hmm. and state. Uh, and I would advise anybody, no matter what your circumstances, if you're not good at this, um, again, lots of support available. Find a way, because it allows for the rest to happen. Mm-hmm. So that would be my, I think, my first tip, my first practical tip, no matter what a person is dealing with.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. I think. Um... You know what the examples you were giving of that compassion towards yourself is exactly what you would do if it, if, it, if it, there was a friend that you were supporting. Mm-hmm. And I think if we think about that, it would just come so naturally to most of us. But when it's ourselves, it just feels so different, doesn't it? And it's, it it um, does
1: feel different. And you make a good point because most of us are very skilled in doing that for our friends. So the the good news is that the skills are present. We just have to be willing, and that's really the key word is willing. To turn them around and use them for ourselves as well yeah. and to receive them from others by the way. Um, so that's another thing we're not sometimes very good at and uh, gentlemen I'm talking to you in particular but this happens to some women as well um, that we often will resist kindness. People will reach out to us in support and will sometimes resist that and I think this has to do with our again our discomfort with vulnerability that when we feel vulnerable we feel weak we do not want people to see us weak now that that actually is primal you know animals don't like that either when they feel weak or sick they'll go hide themselves and that's because they're, they're they're protecting themselves from predators so it's something that exists in nature and we can understand it as a primal instinct but humans are not generally subject to predators right in fact it's just the opposite what's much more present in our life is not predators it's people who are willing to reach out to us and support. And so it's another skill to, again, we, we will do it for somebody else, but it's yet another skill to allow that in, both from ourselves, which is self-compassion, and from others, which is support. And so there's there's a second tip, is that let's be compassionate with ourselves and let's receive compassion from others, willingly.
0: Yeah, again, the willing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a big thing. Do you have a third tip for us?
1: Well, then once <laughs> once we've been compassionate with ourselves, once we've received a support from others, at some point we need to take back then our power. I know I'm on this theme a lot today, but that, that would be the third place to go. Is that then, and by the way, you know, power is a big word, may sound overwhelming to somebody who's currently in a vulnerable state, but let's let's break it down. This is a matter of baby steps. It's one step at a time. You know, my mentor says something wonderful. She says, how do you climb Mount Everest? Well, the answer is one baby step at a time because nobody's ever done it any other way. <laughs> so baby steps add up to even climbing Mount Everest if a person should want to, but certainly to anything else in life that we want to attempt. So the, the question that I often use with myself and with others is, What's one thing I can do right now from where I am? What's one thing, it can even be a small thing. What's one thing I can do right now from where I am? So even before I turn to somebody else for support, or even before I go read a book about something, or even before I do any of the things that take longer, I say, what's the, just one little thing I can do from where I am? Because it's all those little things that add up over time to taking back my identity, taking back my power, and therefore determining the course of my life. It's not that in one fell swoop. And I think that's what people get overwhelmed and fearful about sometimes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We look at the end goal, don't we, of where we want to yes. get to, like the Everest, and we go, mm-hmm. oh no. Yeah. It's too far. It's too far away.
1: And that's just it. We, we you know, and, and and vision should not be something that shuts us down. Vision is something wonderful. Vision is something that opens up our life. We just have to remember that getting to our vision is not doing one big thing. It's about doing steps every single day that move us in that direction.
0: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much uh, for those. And then I have a new question that I've started paying in. So I love to read and also mm. watch TED Talks. Uh, so I'm asking us to come on to share a, a book recommendation or a TED Talk that you love, um, that you, you think we should check out.
1: I love TED Talks too. And there are so many oh gosh i can think of so many ted talks i've been influenced by you know one of the one of the this this one brought me to tears absolutely there's a woman named susan Kane, cain, c-a-i-n who talked about the power of introverts you know and, and she wrote a book about that too you know we're, we're Western society, again, we kind of worship extroverts. We kind of worship people with a big public image who love it that way. Um, so again, not not right or wrong about either way of being, absolutely not, but simply that some people are one way, some people are the other way. And we, um, those of us who are introverts, this is very, very validating. So I... I highly recommend Susan Cain's uh, talk on introversion. That's one, and I could not do this without, or answer this question without uh, mentioning the other one that had a huge influence on me. And this person of course is very, has become very, very very well known for this work. It's Brene Brown on vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Um, who, you know, and, and and it's, the reason I love that talk so much is not only the subject matter, which is super important and super influential in, on what I do in the world, but because Brene Brown is like the last person you'd think would be talking about this. Are you familiar with her? Have you yes, looked into her work? Yes. Yeah, yeah. so, yeah. you know, here's a woman from Texas you know, who grew up in a gun-toting family uh, you know, who th- they were not into emotions. <laughs> <laughs> she was not into emotions. You know? and, and so the way she realized that this was an essential part of who she was and who all of us are um, from, a, you know, from that background is, and she does it with such humor, you know, she has a great sense of humor. She's a great storyteller. So that's the other TED Talk that will be with me always is The Power of Vulnerability, uh, mm. Brene Brown.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, I've, I've seen both of those and love them and mm-hmm. actually have books by both of those. Yes, on my bookshelf. Yes, yes. uh, have you seen Brene Brown's uh, Netflix that she did? It was like a longer talk that she did. Yeah. Um, I can't remember what it's what it's called. Um, I'll put it in the show notes. Um, but that was really um, it kind of looked at the vulnerability, but also looked at like the stories that we tell ourselves and all of that. And um, yeah, amazing stuff.
1: Yeah, her, her work has, has uh, sprouted in so many different directions. Uh, the stories we tell ourselves again, you know, central to what I do. If we tell ourselves the cancer's out there. And and it could hit us any day, and that's our primary story. Well, our life's going to look a lot different than you know. I had cancer. I know it could happen again someday, but meanwhile, today I'm alive, I'm healthy, and I'm going to live that way. Very different story. The stories we tell ourselves are 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 key to who we
0: are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and then that brings us to my final question, which is why people can connect with you online if they're interested in working with you. Where can they find you?
1: Thank you. The easiest way is simply to go to my website, which is drshanifox.com, D-R-S-H-A-N-I-F-O-X.com. I Uh, I have a a blog there. I have uh, all kinds of resources there. There's a a free webinar training there. Um, And there's uh, access to my book, which is the Cancer Survivors Fear First Aid Kit, Um, what to do when you're in a panic. You know, there's a certain situation that cancer survivors have that if even when they're well, but they have a follow-up scan coming up three, every three or six months. When that scan approaches, they go into fear, even if most of the time they're fine. So when, when the fear hits, what do you do? That's what the book is. It's actually a kit. It's a book, CD, and workbook kit. Uh, what do you do with that? That's what the Cancer Survivor's Fear First Aid Kit is about. So all those available through my website, and I always welcome contacts from anybody who wants to reach out to me. I answer everyone personally, and it's Dr. Shawnee at drshawneefox.com.
0: Amazing. And we'll absolutely link in the show notes so people can find you, you easily you. from there as well. Dr. Shani, thank you so much for joining us and, and for sharing with us. Um, I've really enjoyed our conversation. I think it's, as I said, really valuable work that you're doing. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you. And your podcast is of great value too. I, I found you actually, I, I, I thought this was such a valuable co- podcast that I wanted to connect with you directly. So thank you for what you're doing in the world as well.
0: Oh, thank you. <laughs> So a massive thank you again to Dr. Shani for joining us. And really, what really struck me was that idea of living life to the full and appreciating how precious life is. And the question I was kind of asking myself as I listened back was about making the most out of life and, and whether I'm doing that. And and I guess it's a question I'd encourage you to ask yourself. If if you are making the most out of your life, are you dancing with that fear um, but still living? you know, to the full. And for me, this last week, I've been swimming, I've been back in the river, although one day I to Venice, I just dipped in. <laughs> but it's something that definitely makes me feel alive and connected and, and brings me joy. I've uh, had some connection with friends this week, which has been lovely. This morning, I had an urge to bake, uh, which I've not done for ages. And so I went to the supermarket, everyone seemed to be in the supermarket, actually at 10am as soon as it opened um I guess nice weather maybe people are planning on barbecuing I don't know I spent the morning baking scones and cake um and it's been it's been a while since I baked but that was the mood that I was in and I just kind of went with it and um I've not sampled the uh the goods yet but I'm looking forward to that later and and actually I've sort of reached out to a couple of friends to see if anyone wants to come around and have a coffee and cake or afternoon tea with me and um no one's around <laughs> everyone I guess is busy making the most of their own life so I am going to I guess just have some me time and enjoy um enjoy what I've made and uh, not all of what I've made because it's a lot but yeah I, I had had that thought and rather than kind of going well I don't <laughs> I don't need to bake it's hot I'm tired I've got other things to do I'm not I'm not going to eat it all etc um, I just went with it and actually it was really quite enjoyable um, being in the kitchen and I still have to spread buttercream over the, uh, the cake later. So we'll see how it ends up. And actually I'm tempted to just, uh, knock on the neighbor's door if I've got some extra and say, Hey, do you want some cake? Um, which might be a nice, uh, a nice thing. So we'll see. But yes, that's definitely, um, been some moments of me, yeah, I guess making the most out of life. I, you know, I still, I guess have dreams of like the bigger things, but actually, where I am at the moment, I'm, I'm taking steps towards those little steps, towards that life um, and really living in the moment enjoying it. Um, or trying to, <laughs> because it's not always that way. And actually one th- other thing I did this morning, um, and I, obviously I've done the, the prep for this, so I wanted to create a vision board of kind of, I guess, how I want my life to be and my, um, my vision, I guess. And I'd got the images, I printed them out, I cut them out yesterday, and then today I've, I've stuck them onto this notice board, um, cork board thingy, so I have a bit of a vision board to look at, to kind of see that vision, um, and think about the little steps I'm taking. Um, and then my final thought is that year of joy, and I love this idea, joy is one of my buzzwords, it's definitely something that I try to think about having more of in my life, and then probably sometimes lose touch of when I get overwhelmed and, and stressed, and I don't know whether it's the summer, something about the sunshine where it just feels the pace of life is a bit slower, a bit more relaxed, a bit more chilled. And yeah, that's kind of what my mind is on at the moment of feeling joy and and doing things that bring me joy. And so my final thought for you is to think about for yourself what you are doing, what you have done today or this week to make the most of your life or to add a little bit of joy into your life. Um, and if you can't think of anything maybe choosing something to do whether it is a kitchen dance party which is one of my faves you know a cup of tea in the garden calling a friend whatever it is um it doesn't have to be massive it can just be a small thing that is going to give you that little lift even if you have done something hey there's no no reason not to to have another little moment of joy so yeah that's my my final thoughts and thank you so much for tuning in and listening. Massive thank you again to Sherrianna who joined us Monday and Dr. Shani who joined us today. I really hope you've enjoyed the episode and I'd love to hear your thoughts. You can connect with me at psyche, P S Y K H E coaching, all one word, on Instagram, on Facebook and Twitter, and I would love to hear from you. As always, please do continue to rate, review, and share the show. Uh, it really helps us to reach more people. And have a good week. I hope it is joyful. I hope it is calm. I hope that you're doing okay, wherever you are, um, and whatever's going on in your life. And I will be back on Monday with another episode for you. Until then, as always, take care of yourself, be kind to yourself, and I'll speak to you soon. Bye for now.